following podcast is sponsored in part by the Blue Ridge Institute for Theological Education and Birmingham Theological Seminary. For more information about these institutions, please visit their websites at bright-va.org. That's B-R-I-T-E-V-A.org or bts.education. And now, here is Larger for Life, a podcast on the Westminster Larger Catechism. Welcome back to another edition of Larger for Life, the podcast about the Westminster Larger Catechism. This is one of your co-hosts, Derek Brott, and I'm along with, um, I'm joined by the rest of the crew, Sean Morris, Nick Bullock, Stephen Spinnenweber, and live from RTS Charlotte, Matt Adams. What devotion. You've done this now while you're on vacation. You've done it. Now, while you're at RTS, um, you are just a devoted man, and uh, we appreciate that devotion. We appreciate you listening with us as we uh, take a look at this wonderful document. Um, Spin, what are we uh, what are we looking at today? What question? Today, we're looking at question five of the larger catechism. What do the scriptures principally teach? It's question five. What do the scriptures principally teach? Answer. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So I think very clearly looking at this question, there are two basic parts. What does the Bible teach when it says principally? It means mainly. What does the Bible teach mainly? What is its emphasis? And it's two things. What man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Uh, Matt Adams, our most devoted host, uh, you're, you're doing a podcast while pursuing a doctorate of ministry. Tell us what you think about what man is to believe concerning God, that first clause there. Sure. You know, one of the things that I think we have to establish very early on in thinking about how the scriptures reveal to us what we are believed concerning God is that we have to hold it as the truth. That's actually where Johannes Voss starts as well. Um, the message of truth to be believed. And so as we've already established through uh, former episodes that this all comes from the supernatural special revelation of God in the scriptures, we must hold the scriptures to be absolutely authoritative and True, And so first, a message of truth to be believed. And then second, a message of duty uh, to be obeyed. If I can just read very quickly uh, a quote that Johannes Voss uses here. It says, belief or faith is the root and determiner for life. And so we, we first have to establish the most important aspect of this answer, and we have a truth that's to be believed, and then that truth then establishes the way that we live. It, it causes us to uh, live in a determined way uh, for the glory of uh, God. And so, you know, the Scriptures are going to tell us, as they reveal God to us, who God is. And, and really that is... The next, oh man, uh, 84 questions, questions 6 through 90, will deal with 
what we are to believe concerning God. And so this is a great pivot point in the larger catechism itself. Yeah, and it really sets up the structure, and deliberately so. It's not just a coincidence that the divines did this on purpose. It sets up the structure uh, for the rest of the catechism. Uh, these, you know, these first five questions are really sort of the the intro, almost the prolegomena, if you like, of the catechism. Yeah, it's the 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 preface items, the introduction into the catechism, and then as question five, you know, gives this answer: the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And so for the next 80-plus, as Matt just said, questions, they all get subsumed under this big heading, and depending on your edition of the catechism that you're looking at, it might even have that there uh, in a nice big, bold font in between question five and six. You know, here's the section, here's the questions where it outlines, here's the things what man ought to believe concerning God, and then after we get uh, on into the, the latter part of the chism, you've got that second bold heading, what duty God requires of man. So... Uh, it provides the, a lovely structure here for us as we uh, look at the uh, the view from 30,000 feet, if you will, of the larger catechism. One of the things that Voss helpfully points out is the order that the Westminster divines uh, place within this. Uh, this. This orthodoxy that precedes orthopraxy, and he uses this phrase, and I just think it's helpful. Uh, the root must come before the fruit and that the things that we do flow from the things that we believe. Uh, one of the things that I think today that uh, really affect the hearts of people is that very often we let the things we do dictate what we believe. Uh, usually the sins that we do dictate what we believe, or possibly even the things that we enjoy, uh, like uh, uh, sports or however it is, those things dictate what we believe, for instance, on the Lord's Day and the keeping of it or other things in life. So it's a nice thing to just at least pay attention to the order uh, that orthopraxy, or sorry, orthodoxy precedes orthopraxy. That's right. And before we get too far away, you know, Matt was getting all this credit for being the, you know, Mr. On Location for all these recordings. But Nick, our dear friend Nick, is is on location from from the the beauteous, glorious, majestic homeland of these doctrines, the land of Scotland. He's coming to us from Scotland this afternoon. You know, so we got got we got guys all up and down the Eastern time zone and Central time zone in America, but Nick's coming at, at us from Germany, from Switzerland, from Scotland. I mean, he might be able to see, he might be able to peek out his window and see the crown spire from which Knox once ministered at St. Giles Kirk. I can. I'm actually sitting in the St. Columba Free Kirk um, manse, staying over with a friend here as I'm doing some research and study. But yeah, it's great to be in the Holy Land. It's uh, wet, windy and uh, filled with good books. So, great time. It's wonderful. Nick's doing a week of studies at, at ETS Edinburgh Theological Seminary, a fine institution which only graduates the finest of men and the best looking the of finest. men. finest. Yes, yes. As I've Amen. been told. Your wife would disagree, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, uh, Nick, you, you brought up something really good, I think, in, in kind of going how orthodoxy precedes orthopraxy. What we believe is of primary importance, and that which we do is really a consequence of what we believe. Uh, it was interesting, at Wednesday nights here at Westminster, we're going through Pilgrim's Progress. And it's a lot of fun, because I would say most of the adults did not read this book when they were children. And so a lot of them are going through it the first time and trying to explain it to their kids. And we're at the point now where Christian and hopeful meet up with ignorance, 
and true to his name, he proves that he's he's an ignorant man. And what he keeps coming back to as the true test of you know what is true is he keeps coming back to his heart. And um, Christian says that it's not just enough to have good thoughts. You need to have good thoughts uh, that are in accordance with God's word. You need to have good thoughts concerning God. And then Christian uh, saying to ignorance, like, hey, do you want to know what these good thoughts are concerning God? He says, even as I have said concerning ourselves, when our thoughts of God do agree with what the word saith of him, and that is when we think of his being and attributes as the word hath taught, of which I cannot now discourse at large. So I'm sure we've all experienced it, but we've run into people who are persuaded that they're believers, uh, that they do believe in God, mm -hmm. but they really believe in a God of their own fashioning, of their own imagination, and they're not believing in God as he's revealed himself in his words. And so I would echo with Christian in his exhortation to ignorance, you need to have good thoughts concerning God. And what are those? It's when our thoughts agree with those of scripture. Uh, we do not make God in our own image. Uh, we're made in God's image. And so we think his thoughts after him. It was Mark Twain, wasn't it? Who said that God made man in his image. And ever since the fall, man has been returning the favor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we have to believe that the scriptures teach concerning God and believe no other. And, and don't you love how, I mean, absolutely timeless this descriptor of the Christian faith or the Christian religion is here uh, in question number five? Because, I mean, how many times have we heard it? And, and Voss hints at it in his commentary, but I was thinking about it just even on the drive over here earlier today. I mean, we, <laughs> how many times have we heard, and maybe I'm dating myself in saying this, but, you know, Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. Or, you know, what, what's in vogue these days is, you know, Christianity is a life well lived where you show forth the love of Jesus, you 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 model Christ-likeness or you model Jesus-likeness uh, in, in the life that you live, the love that you show, the kindness that you show, etc. It's not so much what you believe, but what you do. And this this catechism question really helps put the lie to that. So whether it was in, however it was iterated in the era of the divines, the way it was iterated in Voss's era, the way it's iterated in our era, uh, Christianity is both a matter of belief, of doctrine, and life. The two are not pitted against each other. And so often that's what folks want to do. I know if, there, if there's folks in my congregation listening in, they know I'm fond of saying it, they're probably sick of hearing me say it, but so many times when we have these false dichotomies, is it this or that? So many times the answer is yes. <laughs> is Christianity a matter of doctrine or is Christianity a matter of ethics or life lived? And the answer is yes. It's a both and, it's not an either or. And the catechism helps us get that, get that truth so succinctly. It does matter what you believe and it matters how you live. Now, as we all know and believe, and as we'll get on further on into the catechism, how you live and how you obey and how you render uh, a life of faithful, God-glorifying living unto God matters. 
and we don't want to make the mistake of it being some sort of meritorious works righteousness or some kind of legalism. And that is a that is a thing that we need to be concerned about. People are rightly on guard against any sort of veiled legalism or veiled works righteousness, uh, any sort of meritoriousness, something like that. Keeping those law gospel distinctions are important. But the catechism does that. It doesn't confuse law and gospel, and it doesn't confuse, or rather, it doesn't pit belief against duty. And uh, duty is one of those dirty little words in certain circles of, of North American evangelicalism these days. Duty is a dirty little word in some circles of Reformed Christianity these days. People, depending on how you've been raised, depending on what influences you've been exposed to, who your mentors were, etc., people can really recoil uh, at the word duty and thing and and obedience. It's it's a, they get allergic to it, and we need to gently and kindly shepherd people into the right understanding of the words of duty and obedience and having a better understanding of duty and obedience the way the catechism uh, does here. We need to make sure it's oriented and placed rightly in uh, uh, in our reckoning of the Christian life. Make sure we don't put the cart before the horse and, and wander off into some sort of legalism. We don't want to do that, uh, but neither do we want to wander off into antinomianism. And so duty does matter in terms of uh, the redeemed Christian living life unto God. You know, and to pile on to that, Sean, uh, this distinction, kind of going back to the order that the divines provide for us, I think it encourages the Christian uh, first to perceive who God is in his self-revelation, okay? Uh, his attributes, his person, through the deeds that he's done, his decrees, the thing that he reveals uh, to the church, specifically in the scriptures, and that out of all heart of that knowledge, that awareness of who God has shown himself to be, then therefore we act. And what that does is it protects us from a legalism. It lets the acts of faith flow from the directive of Scripture in the context of the Christian's knowledge of God. And that's the right thing. With that, you're always going to have a heart religion. You're not going to have just uh, the dry, cold rigorism of legalism, but mm. rather a heart of devotion and submission. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, um, there's something about this particular question, especially if you look at one of the proof texts for this, that uh, is, is so evergreen, which I know all of it is evergreen. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. But um, there's always in the church a battle for the Bible, right, and a battle for what God's word says and what the purpose of God's word is. And so often, you know, you'll talk to someone and they'll say, uh, or you'll ask them perhaps, you know, what are you reading in your Bible lately? And they really can't tell you. And you say, well, what have you learned from God's word? And they really can't tell you because what they're looking for in the scripture is what God can do for them. Mm-hmm. You know, or maybe they, maybe they do give you an answer, but it's all a one way um, communication where uh, meaning that, um, it's, well, this is what God does for me. And, and this is what, uh, everything I expect of him. And here's how he's going to fulfill my desires. And, all. and listen, there's a place for some of that discussion, but this is also, we need to look at the scripture. And when we read it and say, what is required here? What, what is God showing me? Where, where in my life am I not matching up to this? Uh, what is the Holy spirit trying to reveal to my, to me that, uh, where my heart is defective or I'm lacking in sanctification. And um, I love the proof text here, um, 2 Timothy one thirteen, 
and I'm going to read from the authorized version. Surprise, surprise. But it says, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. There is such an importance of God's word and what it contains and uh, just the, the need for every generation to hold fast to it, not to water it down, not to manipulate it, not to take the pages and, and do origami, exegetical origami to where it just says what you want it to say. Um, but it, it needs to, we need to hold fast to what the truth contained in these scriptures, the truth of God's word. And uh, I think if you look around much of the evangelical landscape, uh, that's missing. And, it, I, and, it, and it's probably always missing, right? I mean, I think that's one of the words uh, or answers rather that those Ligonier panels, I think, you know, they get the same questions every, every year. Um, but they always say, you know, there's a, a battle for the Bible and the answering the age old question, has God really said? Mm -hmm. And I think we need to, to reckon with that. And the larger catechism helps us reckon with that. Yeah. You know, one of the, um, I guess, you know, we, we often get asked when we're coming under care and uh, of presbyteries and such, one of the initial steps of pursuing ordained ministry in the PCA, kind of what are, what our kind of life Bible verses are for ministry. And I always point to the parable of the house built upon the rock in Matthew chapter seven, because, you know, not only is it a, a, a cool story of, of building houses upon the shifting sands or the solid rock, but if you were to ask kind of the normal person in the pew, well, what is it to build your house upon the solid foundation? Uh, that Christ is talking about here, they would say, oh, it's the, you know, Christ himself or, or the Bible, the scriptures. Um, but, but actually Jesus says, it's not only those who hear his words, uh, but those who do his words. Um, and, and that's what I think the catechism is trying to do is to, to ensure that we are truly hearing uh, the truth of the message of God's word. Um, you know, when we, when we're parenting or, uh, you know, I've got three under six at home. And so when I'm, when I'm parenting, uh, I, I might speak to one of my kids, but I don't know if they really heard me until they actually do what I've asked them to do or told them to do. Um, and I think that's, I think that's at the heart of the larger catechism here is not only are we to hear the truth of the message of, God as he has revealed himself in the word, but that we must do what he has uh, commanded. And, and I know like Sean's already mentioned, and we've mentioned already in this episode, that's very unpopular, but, but if we want to be the house that's built upon the solid foundation, as Christ talks about here in Matthew chapter seven, we have to hear and we have to do, there has to be uh, proper listening, uh, true, true hearing. You know, I just heard Matt talk about a life verse and, and how sometimes that gets thrown at Presbytery whenever guys come through. You know, I'm still waiting for a guy who's going to come in and say, my life verse, my ministry verse is Judges 16.30. Let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistines and the rulers of all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire life. Uh, that'd be a showstopper, wouldn't it? <laughs> One of my oh, favorites. Oh, for that day. <laughs> well, what I want to do is, you know, people will have like a John 316 bumper sticker or they'll have, you know, some obscure reference. I want 
to just put it up there as like, you know, um, in loving memory of X person and then just put like a random Bible verse and it's like, and Esau was a hairy man <laughs> and just, and just see their reactions. Like they Google that on their phone. They look up at me like, what a weirdo. <laughs> but here we are. It, you know, would be, it, oh, it would be glorious. And I'm saying that just for our friend Perry McCall, because I know how much he loves that <laughs> adjective. And I know how much he loves hearing that adjective here on this podcast. It would, that would be glorious. glorious. Who's, who's Perry McCall? I'm not familiar with him. Uh, he's yeah, an out of he's an out of work he's an out of work Broadway grip I think he's on strike with all the with all the people the Hollywood and, and New York theater folk that are striking right now. I got you. That makes sense. Yeah, Have y'all seen that um, that meme of uh, actually I think it was a legitimate card or something, and it it was like a not a Hallmark card but something like that, and it was meant to encourage someone, and it uh, had a verse from Luke, and it says. Uh, you know, if you'll just bow to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world or something like that. And of course, that's the words of Satan to, to Christ in the <laughs> yep. wilderness, right? Yep. And it's like how and I hate to say this, but <laughs> I've had Christians come up to me in the past and and say, you know, God has promised me X, Y and Z. And you go and read the context and you're going, uh, you're actually quoting the devil. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you. I've I've seen that. that I've seen that meme around on Facebook. It was a greeting card or a, one of those old daily inspirational calendars or something. But yeah, it's uh, it when you're quoting Bible verses, it's really important to pay attention to context and who's speaking the words at any given point. That that matters a little bit. Well, you guys were mentioning it, Matt. This I think essential connection, and it's a biblical connection between hearing and doing. And my mind just went instantly to James one. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so while it's true that all that is required of justification and our eventual glorification before God, it's all uh, by grace alone. I always go back to Ephesians 2.10, where it says that we were um, saved by Christ Jesus for good works, yes. right? So the doing is not a part of the grounds of our being made right with God, but it is the, I would say, the necessary consequence of having been made right with God. We therefore go and live obedience to his command out of thankfulness and gratitude. So there's an inseparable connection, uh, but there's a place for everything, but everything in its place, right? Absolutely. And as you cite that verse, my mind also went to a, a corollary verse in Titus 2, spin, Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, supply, why? Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then he goes on to verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So belief and practice. These two are not enemies. These two are not opposed. They are conjoined in the Christian faith. Faith, belief, faith, and uh, and life, and doing, and and works of uh, godly works of uh, of a righteous and redeemed life. Well, and I think it, I have two two just kind of brief thoughts. One is Psalm one nineteen in general 
is such a great text about the Bible because here the author of the psalm is extolling the virtues and the gloriousness, Perry McCall, of uh, of the Holy Scripture. And at that time, it was the Hebrew Bible. And he exhausts the Hebrew alphabet uh, to describe how God's word is like drippings from a honeycomb and how it's, a, um, you know, uh, able to show you all these different things and reveals. Uh, I mean, it's such a high view of God's word. And I think one of the things that the larger catechism calls us to do, not just with this question, but I would say every question overall is to hold a high view of God's word. You know, if I were to ask you, Hey, start with a and go all through the English alphabet. And I want you to describe God's word. You know, you might get to F or G and start struggling you know, or, or whatever. I mean, that would be hard, but that's, um, but that's what Psalm 119 does in poetic form. And it's so beautiful and it, it really does promote that. And then second thought was just in line with that and in line with what you guys are saying, Psalm 119, 105, right? The word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. It shows me the way wherein I should go both night and day. I mean, and it, you know, there's comparison verse there to, to Proverbs six, but um, God's word is that light that that reveals to us where we should go, how we should act, what we should do, where to set our path toward. And, uh, you know, I would just encourage all Christians and ask yourself, do you have um, the same view of God's word that scripture calls you to have? Do you think as highly of scripture as scripture thinks of itself, right? Or as we talked about in a previous episode, do you have the same high view of God's word that the Lord Jesus does? Now, I know, of course, somebody's listening to this and they're saying, well, nobody can be perfect like Jesus. I, I get all that. Okay. I understand that. But the question remains um, is, can you say of God's word that it is drippings from the honeycomb. It's sweeter than that. You know, it, 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 it's taste to me is far greater. And I, and it's a lamp into my feet. I can't go anywhere without first consulting God's word. Um, that's a good question to ask yourself. It's a good question. I have to ask my own, you know, my, of my own heart and, and desires. Derek, I, you know, while you were talking about Psalm 119, I've been preaching it on Sunday mornings uh, during this summer, uh, these summer months. And, you know, the whole, this whole idea as the psalmist David is exhausting himself and the love that he has uh, for the word of God. He also understands that when he obeys it, there's a blessedness to be uh, enjoyed. I think to uh, John chapter 20, where the apostle uh, is closing uh, his book, and he gives the purpose of the book. He says, but these are written so that you may believe uh, a message of truth to be believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What is the purpose of our life? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's a state of blessedness uh, that that the psalmist David 
as he is inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit, writing Psalm 119, says, comes from a right understanding of the Word. This blessedness is to be uh, enjoyed because we walk in the law of the Lord and we seek Him with our whole heart. We keep His testimonies. We walk in His ways. We keep His precepts diligently, steadfastly, keeping His statutes. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Uh, there with someone there in 19. It's, it's, an, it's an awesome chapter of the Bible. And, you know, you were making the, you know, Jesus, you know, the scripture passage about building the house upon the rock. And of course, and, and my mind went to the metaphor of the house, which Voss makes the same metaphor as well in his commentary. And this is just, it's, it's re-emphasizing what we, we've already mentioned earlier, that both matter. And that's what the catechism is getting at. What matters, faith or practice? Well, what matters when you're building a house? The foundation or the roof? Well, both matter. But order matters. And that's what the catechism, it's so subtle and so succinct you can almost miss it. So that's, I guess maybe that's why we're we're really belaboring this point because we want our, our, our listeners to grasp this as well. The order matters. You don't build the roof before you build the foundation. I, I guess maybe if you could build a floating roof, but you build the foundation first. And eventually you get to the roof, but both components are utterly essential. So what in the Christian life, the doing, the the duty towards God, the obedience that we owe him as his ransomed, healed, restored, redeemed people matters. But we can't get to the duty before we get to the belief. We have to get to the belief first. And so that's why the scriptures teach what man is to believe concerning God. And then secondarily, what duty God requires of man. Well, I, I think it just sets us in a, a frame of a personal religion, doesn't it? I mean, uh, you can even think of it kind of in terms of, of uh, a marriage or a relationship uh, with a, a spouse-to-be, uh, this idea that you you know them, and then therefore, because of how you know them, you live accordingly. Uh, my wife really does appreciate if I beat her up in the mo- if I'm up before her in the morning, let me say it like that. <laughs> uh, if I'm up before her in the morning, um, that I would make some coffee uh, for her and have have it ready so that she could have it. So I know who she is. I know her delights. I know the things that uh, please her heart. And that's going to instruct me in the way in which I should go in the care of her and in my uh, engagement with her. That's exactly how it is to the Lord. The scriptures tell us about his heart, about his delights, about the things he hates and despises. It instructs us specifically who he is. And then it, it specifically tells us uh, the things that delight his heart that we should do. Uh, it makes me think of um, the third use of the law. Um, you know, out of, out of the first two uses, you've got, you know, a knowledge of sin uh, and your need of a Savior. The second use, you, you have a knowledge of the righteousness of God, that you would fear him and then not sin. But the third use uh, teaches you the things that delight God, that you might live after him. Uh, very much the same uh, as what the uh, divines are pointing toward here. And this is yeah. classic This is classic Reformed theology in all kinds of ways. I mean, this is on the larger catechism, but you know, the classic outline of a sister Reformed catechism, the Heidelberg, and just even that outline just shows that there's such sweet accord between these traditions of the Reformed faith. Of you know, the, the classic outline of the Heidelberg catechism is guilt, grace, and gratitude, because that's a descriptor of the Christian life. We are guilty before God because of our sin, but praise God in his mercy toward us in Christ Jesus, we've been saved by grace. And so therefore, having been transformed by grace, we live a life of gratitude, yielding good works of, of gratitude and, and other things unto God in the life lived toward him uh, as he 
refashions us according to his own image and as he prepares us for glory. Well, that's that's reflected here as well. We are saved by grace, and then we yield duty, uh, uh, render a life of gratitude unto our Lord. Spin, I think I cut you off. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you, Sean? Uh, but th- that word duty there, duty, people don't like saying it, right? right? Because you might chafe a little bit under this because Christianity is about a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, I talked about today uh, that, you know, I ran into my first King James onlyist out in the wild. That was an experience. I was like, do you know Derek Bright? Because he too loves the Bible <laughs> in the King's English. He insists on it only. <laughs> but what um, what I love about this, it says, what duty God requires of man. Isn't that really freeing? Because how many people as pastors have come to you and say, hey, pastor, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Uh, I, I don't know what God's will for my life is. And the place that I usually take them is 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Right? That's basically what the divines are doing is they're saying, God doesn't give us nice and neat answers about who to marry, where to work, or what state to live in, but he does tell us what is our duty. And um, I tell members of my congregation, uh, God has told you what is your duty today, and that's what you're responsible for. We like to know what the future holds, but God has held us responsible to know what is our duty today. And he's given us principles by which to live uh, out of thankful obedience And uh, this is all given in his word. The confession will talk about everything necessary for life and godliness being in God's word. That's really freeing for a bunch of people who struggle with aimlessness and feeling that they have no direction, no rudder. It's just rinse and repeat. Life is going nowhere. But God has told us what our duty is in his word and uh, very clearly. And isn't that kind of a freeing thing for the Christian? It it narrows the field of view, Mm -hmm. because we do live in a world where we're just completely overwhelmed. Uh, We have, you know, basically everyone connected to us by that little phone in our pocket or the laptop in front of us. There's almost no limit, and it's an overwhelming thing. And, you know, it could be well that that uh, causes the existential issues that we hear uh, from the people in our churches all the time. Uh, these midlife crises. Have I wasted my life? Have I done the right thing? Have I done this or that? Am I how I should be? Well, the answer could quite simply be that if you're a child of God, you're to, you're to know the Lord your God and you're to live after him. It's not that hard. It's not that complex. Uh, the Bible's quite clear on these things. And and yeah, they actually are uh, things that you can know. It's not just the constant groping for uh, some sense of truth or some sense of meaning. The scriptures give it to you clearly. Mm-hmm. There is a, a a blessedly limited scope in in how the the catechism phrases what scripture is seeking to provide. It doesn't. It, it's not trying to make scripture promise to provide something that it never promised to deliver. Uh, it's you know, what do the scriptures principally teach? It's not to say that scripture doesn't speak about lots of other things. It does, but it principally teaches about these things. You know, it's like we spoke about in one of the previous episodes. We're not meant to approach Scripture as a chemistry textbook. It's not meant to do that. It's not meant to be a cookbook or a recipe book, although I guess there are those folks out there that look to it for the the Daniel diet or the Ezekiel bread or something like that. But, you know, uh, ordinarily, <laughs> you know, more narrowly speaking, the Bible is meant to, to, to convey this to God's people. What are you to believe? How do you live unto God? Uh, it's not meant to provide everything exhaustively in a, univer- in a universal sense. 
Uh, it never promised to do that. And so I think that the, the catechism helpfully reigns in our expectations so that we're not looking to the Bible to give us something that it never was trying to, to give us in the first place. Well, and and if I could just add one more thing here, and I know we're probably bumping up on time, but um, what I have to say is always important. So, um, no, I, this is actually goes in relation uh, in relationship to something that Matt said earlier. Um, but I would just say, Scripture is one of those things that because it tells us what God requires of us, because it tells us how we ought to live in those things then we should not expect blessing if we're doing the opposite of what God's word says. Mm -hmm. Right. And I sometimes, and I know that sounds so simple and so well, duh. Well, honestly, how many Christians have you uh, counseled and maybe they're having a relationship trouble or whatever the case is, or maybe they want to be married and uh, they just can't uh, seem to, to find a mate or whatever the case is. And you say, well, you know, you're, you're sleeping with somebody you're not married with. So why would God bless that relationship? You know, you're, or you're, um, you're abusing his gifts and you're, um, or you're lying on your taxes or all these other things. Why would God bless that? You're doing the exact mm -hmm. opposite of what he said. This is the way of blessing, right? And so Christians, just as Matt said earlier, there, there's reward, right? There, there's a great That's reward for, for obedience. I do believe in, in rewards, Jesus being the ultimate one, of course, uh, in the beatific vision, but we get degrees of rewards and degrees of blissfulness. And um, we want to get those rewards. We want to be motivated even by those good rewards, but we cannot expect God to bless something, to reward us for something and um, to, to give us favor in areas where we're completely just disobedient to what he says. Um, it's almost a, um, well, of course, God's not blessing your relationship. You're literally doing what he says he hates, you know, and same thing with, um, you know, people. And this is, uh, you know, we might get some emails about this. My um, uh, email is seanmorris at gmail.com. But um, right, people get divorced. And people and there are legitimate reasons in scripture for divorce. So I'm not I'm not counting those. But people get divorced because they say, well, I'm not happy or I'm not fulfilled or whatever the case is. And then they find they get a second marriage and that marriage goes to pot too. Well, of course it does. Because you've done that which God in his word has said he hated. And if you but if you don't read God's word, you don't know what you're to do and you don't know what reward there is or what God will see and bless. So um, I know that's a little bit of a harder word, um, but I felt it was necessary. No, that's a good word, Derek. It, it needs to be, it, it's something we need to be reminded of. We bristle against it in the wider evangelical culture of our day, even in the wider reformed world of our day. Um, somewhere along the line, we, we got allergic to this idea of affirming that God's ways are the best ways. God's ways are the best ways. And there is blessedness, as you just so well put, there is blessedness in striving to, to seeking and striving to keep his commands. Uh, so Psalm 119 uh, makes that point exhaustively and over and over again. And that's just one example throughout the scripture. Uh, Abide in me, uh, Christ Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. There is blessedness in striving to keep his ways.
Well, folks, I think we are uh, right at about the, the time where we want to wrap it up for this particular episode. We hope that you who have listened have enjoyed it as we've thought about question number five of the larger catechism. And as we are signing off for today, uh, we have a potential uh, little gift for you. We have uh, a copy uh, to give away of a, of a recently published and released book. And we think that the subject of the book ties in nicely with the question that we have just considered. In its own way, question number five really sets out sort of the the summary and the overarching structure of uh, Reformed theology, if you like, biblical theology, uh, in terms of our belief in our life. And there's a, a recently published volume in the Blessings of the Faith series from PNR Publishing. And this particular volume is written by Jonathan Master, Dr. Jonathan Master, who is the president of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and our own uh, Stephen Spinnenweber is a proud alumnus of that fine institution, and Dr. Master has written a book called Reformed Theology. It's a short book, about 140 pages. It was released just a couple of months ago, and it's a really nice ground-level introduction as to what Reformed Theology is. And so if you're new to the Reformed faith, if you've got folks in your congregation that are new to the Reformed faith, if, if you've got uh, young Christians who are wrestling with these things, trying to get their head around uh, what Reformed theology means at a basic entry-level kind of fashion, this could be a very useful resource for you. So we've got a copy of it that we want to give away, and we'll keep it simple. So when this episode goes out, this episode number five, when it goes out on its uh, long, our long-standing tradition of releasing it at 5 a.m. on Monday mornings, um, if you would be so kind as to either share it on Facebook, that link, or retweet it on Twitter when you see that link go out. We'll keep a, a log of who shares uh, that po this podcast release, and we'll just do, do it the old-fashioned way, put some names in a hat, and if you are so fortunate as to have your name drawn, we'll contact you, and we'd be glad uh, to provide this new book, this excellent resource to you uh, for your benefit and edification. And it rods. <laughs> And, uh, you know, if you already have a copy and you're a winner, uh, feel free to give it away to someone that you know would benefit from it because it is an, an excellent resource. So there you have it. So be on the lookout for that when this episode releases uh, in due time. So on behalf of all of us here today, for myself, for Nick Bullock, for Stephen Spinnenweber, for Matt Adams, for Derek Bright, thanks for tuning in and joining along as we've thought through question number five of the larger catechism. And we'll look forward to having y'all join us next week when we consider question number six. You have been listening to Larger for Life, a podcast on the Westminster Larger Catechism, brought to you by the Blue Ridge Institute and Birmingham Theological Seminary. For more information about this podcast, please visit our website on Podbean at largerforlife.podbean.com, where you can subscribe to the show in the podcast platform of your choice and browse past episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter or Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow us at Larger for Life Podcast, and on Facebook, you can follow us at facebook.com slash larger for life. Be sure to tune in next time and join us again at Larger for Life. Larger for Life.